Hark the bardic paladin Who sings and plays again He tells the tales of glory And weaves a magic story He'll join you at your table And ask you to share a fable Heroes of humble origin Villains who must be fought again No matter their skill or prowess The people in life are countless so we pray you heed our request. Enjoy this tale of sidekicks and sidequests. Episode 64 Winston the Githyanki Miner of the Astral Sea. Welcome to Sidekicks and Sidequests the Dungeons & Dragons podcast that helps to put humans back into humanity and breathe life into your campaign NPCs with backstory and bravado. That's right, we're building a world, one character at a time. I am your host, Kurt Krenwelge, the Bardic Paladin, and I'll be joining Will Murray's table in the Levitating Platter. <laughs> And welcome to another exciting episode of Sidekicks and Sidequests, the best unofficial Dungeons & Dragons podcast on the internet, in my humbly biased opinion. I've got another wonderful guest for you, but before I introduce my guest, we have to thank our sponsor, Plus One EXP. Tony Vicinda, previous guest of the show, is the mastermind behind uh, his mastercraft of beard balms, game design, and community building. He has all of these different beard balms named after the basic stats from Dungeons & Dragons. So get a bottle, apply it to your face, and smell the sweet aroma and the sweet victory as you feel your strength, your dexterity, your charisma increase. Of course, the independent RPG he developed, Beards & Beyond, is what helped to launch his brand. Uh, but Tony has also collaborated and developed several other independent tabletop games, including Repugnant with Terrible Games, I Toaster, which is a brave little toaster-inspired tabletop role-playing game, and Down We Go, a game which seeks to capture the heart of old-school tabletop gaming. If you support Plus One EXP, either by buying something from their online store, supporting them on Patreon, or the like, it all helps to funnel into their Plus One Forward program, which seeks to support additional independent tabletop game creators to continue making awesome things. Uh, I'd highly encourage you to go on social media and follow Tony and Plus One EXP uh, on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch in order to keep up with all of the various projects and news tidbits, as well as upcoming interviews, one-shots, and actual plays of some of these amazing little quirky games. And if you don't mind, why don't you head on over to PlusOneExp.com, use my affiliate code Randolph when you're buying a beard balm or a beard RPG, and uh, you'll save some coins on your purchase at no extra cost to you you know i'll get a little bit of a kickback and it just helps us uh to keep the lights on and all that good stuff here at the podcast so again the code is randolph like how it's spelled in episode two at checkout and the website again plus one exp all right thank you for bearing with me my mystery guest i turn the microphone over and ask who you are and what is it that you do i'm will Murray, and i uh, my chief claim to fame, which is actually a very small part of my career, is I created Squirrel Girl for Marvel Comics, who has snowballed into a bit of a cultural phenomenon. Mm -hmm. uh, but largely, 
I'm a novelist. I've written about 75 novels. Most of them are licensed characters. Rima Williams, The Destroyer, Doc Savage, King Kong, Tarzan of the Apes, The Spider, uh, mostly pulp characters. I also covered films for Starlog and Fangoria for about 30 years back in the day and uh, written lots of short stories. Uh, what else have I done? Well, um, <laughs> written lots of short stories with some of them are, are superhero short stories and some of them are, are Lovecraftian stories. And I do, I've written a lot of Sherlock Holmes short stories. I could go on and on because I've <laughs> got a lot of facets to my career. But the main thing I'm doing now is the Wild Adventures series, which is uh, Doc Savage, The Shadow, The Spider, Tarzan, John Carter, Mars, King Kong. I've licensed all those characters. That's amazing. Thankfully, uh, my dad was uh, friends with our mutual contact here, Mr. Dave McDonald, who was mm-hmm. uh, the editor at Starlog. They were childhood friends. And so I have to certainly thank him for our introduction. Uh, I've barely dipped my toe into the water as far as your uh, plethora of repertoire. And it, it's all very cool and amazing. And certainly as a, a self-professed Marvel fan, uh, it's certainly cool to be sitting here and speaking with uh, you know the co-creator of Squirrel Girl. I was just, uh, you know, talking to a friend earlier today, um, you know, saying, oh, yeah, Squirrel Girl was going to be, you know, appearing on a Fox television show before, uh, you know, the Disney merger. And so I'm waiting to see uh, eventually, hopefully, uh, whenever she'll make her appearance either on Disney Plus or or some feature film. Well, she was going to be in a live action New Warriors film TV series, excuse me, but that got kicked around and then it just died. She's mm-hmm. been an animated uh, uh, Marvel uh, cartoon, short short cartoons, which has been on Disney. But uh, I, I still hope for a live action TV show or a film at some point. Me too. But we yes. almost had one about three years ago. There we go. I was going to say it certainly could have been a very interesting Easter egg, uh, say in the Avengers Endgame, if there was like a little sort of subtle nod to Squirrel Girl uh, doing her part to help beat Thanos, which has happened in the comics. Yeah, I would love to have seen that, but it didn't happen. Although if you are uh, a fan of the Loki show, I think the Thanos copter did show up in that show, which was kind of goofy and fun. Of course, on this show, uh, you know, we like to talk uh, tabletop role-playing games and Dungeons and Dragons. So I like to ask my guests, do you currently, or have you ever played Dungeons and Dragons or have any kind of experience with the hobby at all? Not really. Back in the um, 80s, when I was dating the girl who inspired Squirrel Girl, her brothers had, were playing Dungeons and Dragons. It was new at that time, I believe. Mm-hmm. This would be the early 80s. And I either sat in on one or watched one, and I don't remember, it's a long time ago now. <laughs> and so that was my only experience with D&D. I did have a, some brief involvement with other role-playing games that were, were um, connected to Pulp Magazine Heroes. I wrote an introduction to one, and I don't remember which one, I think it's Justice Incorporated. And there was another called The Champions where I, was go- where I started writing a scenario but I didn't finish it because it seemed like it was med- something I should save for a novel, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I've had a little little brush with role-playing games. I never got into them. Oh, you know, okay. they, they, they require a lot of uh, man hours and I've been a writer a long time and, you know, it takes a lot of time to write a novel and I've written 75 or more by now. So. Yeah. <laughs> I can completely understand. I'm super inspired uh, by 
uh, all that you have been able to contribute, whether it's pulp uh, adventure or introductions or whatnot to various adventures. You know, if there was a game I would play, it would probably be Call of Cthulhu. Oh, yeah, that's very really, popular. Really into Lovecraft. Someone I knew who was a Hollywood producer got the idea of a Lovecraft CD-ROM game back when CD-ROM games mm-hmm. were new. When Mist came along, he said, you got to do a, a Lovecraft thing. And I came up with a bunch of stuff for it, but he never got the financing, so it never happened. Oh, wow. Lovecraft role-playing would be really intriguing to me because I live in New England mm-hmm. and I've been involved with Lovecraft fandom for 30, 40 years, whatever it's been. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a little more intriguing than Dungeons and Dragons from the from what I understand of Dungeons and Dragons. Sure, of course. Um, I was going to ask if you are a regular uh consumer of entertainment either through youtube or or twitch because i know there are probably a lot if you just you uh, youtube or t- go on twitch and search for uh call of cthulhu games i'm sure you could just sit and watch people role-playing uh, a game of it so it might get you interested to try and seek out a group to be like hey why don't we try playing it or something i didn't know you could watch games in progress on youtube so i might check that out there you go uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm on YouTube a lot. In fact, I don't watch a lot of regular television, but I'm on YouTube a lot. Okay. Well, our show is called Sidekicks and Side Quests, so I always like to ask my guests, what's been one of your favorite sidekick kind of characters, whether they're from uh, a, a, maybe a pulp adventure story or a role-playing game or history, film, or television, etc., and why are they your favorite sidekick? character i'd say kato from the original green hornet tv show in the 60s is is major sidekick because he transcended the bruce lee transcended Mm -hmm. the 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 crappy role he was given as you know houseboy by day and chauffeur by night he really became a uh, a a co-partner with the green hornet in a way that he had not been on the old radio programs and, and serials so yeah and everybody loves bruce lee i mean he was cool um, so Cato is, is the sidekick of sidekicks as far as I'm concerned. Did you watch that movie that came out probably about 10 years ago with Seth Rogen where they did the Green Hornet? I did. Did you enjoy that film? Well, I wouldn't say I enjoyed it, <laughs> but because it was the Green Hornet, I could not watch it. Okay. Uh, it had some, you know, for a comedy, which is what it was, it had mm-hmm. some interesting stuff, but that was never a comedic character. That was a dead serious character. And to play, to play it like the Batman TV show seemed really weird to me because the character doesn't lend itself to that. And then as far as the other half of the show, do you happen to have a favorite side quest that's been mentioned in a story, literature, film, television, a game, etc.? And why has it been one of your favorite side quests or minor plot elements? I'm not sure there's a side quest that comes to mind from, you know, uh, you know, from you know, a standing start here. I, don't, I can't think of, think of anything because you know when I when I read things or watch movies or something, I'm always interested in the quest and you know side quests are, you know, some, they sometimes get in the way of the narrative. So I don't have one that I can think of. Okay. Well, that's fine. I mean, uh, yeah, we've we've had a you know a number of guests on this show kind of express that similar sentiment. Um, sometimes I reframe the question as far as like I don't know, just like a favorite kind of minor moment, maybe in like a 
stage production or a film where it doesn't kind of inhi- it doesn't inhibit the story but it's like a nice little character moment where maybe you get to learn something new about a character that you otherwise might not have or something like that maybe like on a tv show of your off the top of my head i can't think of anything you know okay. when i see movies i enjoy them or don't enjoy them and they go right out of my head okay. i have to see a film several times for it to stick you know, usually I'll catch it on video or something or on, on cable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I'll have a better memory of a film because I, I mostly say film is something that goes in one eye and out the other. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, last question here in the personal interview section. What are you passionate about and why? I am passionate about writing uh, stories in the styles of the original writers. When I do Tarzan, I try to write like Edgar Rice Burroughs. When I do Doc Savage, I try to write like Lester Dent. When I write The Spider, I like to write like Norville Page. When I do a Lovecraft story, I don't necessarily like write completely like Lovecraft, but I try to get a sensibility in a modern story. So to me, my gift and my passion is, can I write a story that someone reading it who's a fan of this character or this author say that reads a lot like that author. And this reads like an authentic story written like in 1935. Um, so, you know, my passion when I revive characters, which I've done a lot lately, Tarzan of the Apes, I did the first Tarzan novel in probably 20 years. I did the first Doc Savage novel since I last did Doc Savage 25 years ago. Um, and, and characters like that, um, I want to replicate the experience I had when I first encountered these characters in books. And I want the people who love not just the characters, but the writers and their styles to say, man, this takes me right back to when I first read this kind of thing when I was 15 or 16 or whatever. And lots of people say, yeah, this takes me back to my grandmother's porch when I was first reading Doc Savage or or Tarzan, whatever. That's my passion, to do that right. Awesome. Um, just one quick aside, just because I know I'm here in Texas, and of course, Robert Howard, who came up with uh, Conan the Barbarian, is is from here. And uh, did you ever get a chance to tackle Conan or any of those uh, projects no, that's, of his? that's probably the last frontier for me, to do a Robert E. Howard character, because I discovered Howard when I discovered all these other writers, like Lovecraft and, and Edgar Rice Burroughs and whatever. And... Um, I read a lot of Howard in the, in the, that period, the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And some of my earliest experimental short fiction was very influenced by Howard, but I've never written that kind of story or his kind of style. He's one of the guys it would be tough to emulate because mm-hmm. he was such a unique voice and his emotional mental makeup mm-hmm. was so distinctly his that even emulating it, you're gonna fall short. Interesting. A few years ago, I talked to somebody who was connected with the Robert E. Howard people, and they said, we're, we're, we're looking at anthologies, we're looking at some novels, would you like to write a Conan? How about a Solomon Kane short story for an anthology? But the thing kind of frittered away, mm-hmm. so my opportunity came and went. But I love Howard. You well, know, if you're ever in Howard Texas. One of the great pulp writers. Well, certainly if you're ever in Texas, I know the little town that he's from because uh, I would drive by it and see it and making my journeys across uh, Texas is, uh, you know, very proudly on the wall, you know, home of the original Conan manuscript. So if you ever get a chance to pop on by, please do so. Thank you. Thank you.
All right. Well, now that we've learned a little bit more about my guest, why don't we go ahead and head into some NPC creation? All right. So in uh, preparing for this show and figuring out what we were going to do, uh, you elected to go random, to go with the tables and let the dice kind of carry you through the experience. Is that correct? Well, you know, it's, it seems to me like a smartest thing to do is just to roll the dice and see what happens. Okay, perfect. Uh, well, I do happen to have my uh, virtual dice here at the ready. And so the first question that we always like to ask uh, when it comes to a character is what is going to be the character's name? And so as I look at my tables here, that is just going to be a roll of the 20-sided dice. And let's see what we get. Okay, and we got a 17. This answer, uh, provided by my previous guest, Andrew Leslie, Winston. Yeah. So our character's name that we're working with was Winston. Very pulp adventure sounding already. So the next question here is, what is the ancestry? What is the racial background, the species of our character? Um, this is going to be a D100. Uh, there are a lot of various uh, creatures that exist in Dungeons & Dragons, so we will see what we get. 74, as I scroll down... My list here, a gith. Interesting. Okay, so we have a choice of a gith Yankee or a gith Zarai. In basic terms, I like to describe gith as these, um, oh, interdimensional humanoids. Uh, they were former slaves of these uh, Cthulhu monsters called the Mind Flayers uh, who sought independence, uh, but they kind of split into two different tribes. There's the gith Yankee who kind of became these um, pirates of the astral sea, uh, and then you have the Githzerai who kind of became these like contemplative uh, monk-like sort of people. So if you have those two choices presented uh, before you, uh, which one kind of sounds more interesting to you? Well, I'd say the pirates uh, in, in the sense that there's more action there. I like the monk thing because uh, you can do some mental stuff with it, but we'll go with the pirates. Okay, so we'll go with Gith Yankee. Okay, so we have Winston the Gith Yankee. Okay, and so let's see the next question here. What is the job or role of this character in society? This is going to be a, a D10 roll, so just a regular 10-sided dice, and we'll go ahead and give that a roll. Two, okay, this answer provided by previous guest Andrew Newcomb, a minor. So somewhere in the astral sea, probably thinking like a, like a meteor or an asteroid or something, uh, this particular Gith Yankee is a miner. So toils all day, uh, harvesting gems and crystals and whatnot, I suppose. And precious metals. And precious metals. There we go. To make the weapons for the pirates to use and their uh, conquests across the multiverse. Okay. And now we get to roll for the age range of the character. And this will be a D8. So as I click that eight, immortal, there we go. That makes sense. sense. Living in the astral sea where time doesn't really function like normal, it would make sense that uh, Winston is immortal. So excellent. And now we get to take a slight pause from dice rolling now that we have all these uh, clues in our mind. So presented with this information, what, what does Winston look like? Well, he's tall and thin. He's got a very heavy beard. Okay. And his hair 
is, I want to say, kind of beard-like too. I want to say if you'd looked at him in silhouette, he'd be tall, slim, and elegant. But if you looked at his head, he'd be kind of brutish. Okay. There'd be a lot of hair. In fact, he might have, his entire face might be a complete beard with just eye holes and nostril holes and a mouth. Interesting. Okay. It probably protects him as far as uh, with all the, the mining and stuff like that, too. So he's not getting like a fine particle dust and whatnot in his uh, lungs. That's how I see it. Okay. Interesting. Okay. And then let's see. If we had to describe our character with three adjectives, what three adjectives would you use? Well, first, determined, focused, and probably single-minded, which is almost Three words saying almost the same thing. <laughs> He's got one job, and that's to mine. And while there's a lot of stuff in asteroids, he's interested in the metals. Okay. He's most interested in the metals. He resonates with the metals because metals can be turned into things. They can be forged and shaped and smelted and whatever. Yeah, he'll, he'll collect a bag of crystals or gems. Mm. That's just for money. But he's interested in the practicality of metal. Okay. He's interested in what you could turn it into. He's also interested in metals that are maybe not well-known or not on normal planets. Okay. They maybe have properties that if he can figure them out, he can make even more money by creating things or, or selling them to people who says we can do this with that, you know? So do you imagine uh, Winston is like a lone wolf? Like he's just going off on his own to do this? Is he part of some sort of guild or organization? And maybe he's the leader of it? He's a freelancer with strong connections. Okay, because he's immortal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's built up quite a network over forever. (laughs) And so So, he'll talk to the different crews. Yeah, he, he knows where to get dispose of the gems and get the best price. He knows who who wants the crystals, but his specialty is no is knowing smelters, alchemists, mm-hmm. um, metallurgists, and uh, understanding their language and understanding their needs. But also, he's learned a lot from them. He's not just a miner. He's lived long enough. Mm-hmm. He's learned if you really want to have an interesting life and make a good living, because you know if you're going to be immortal, there's a lot of food you have to buy over the <laughs> the, the centuries and the, the millennia whatever mm-hmm. so he's learned enough metallurgy so when he comes across a new metal instead of taking it to someone and saying i found the new metal mm-hmm. he can experiment with it and see what its properties are and so he has his own little laboratory tucked away in his own little spaceship where okay. he can you know experiment and he'll take decades experimenting before he lets anybody know about a new metal he may have discovered because he wants to get top dollar, but he also wants the metal to be put to the optimum use and not just become a part of something somewhere. Very cool. Very cool. I like this a lot. Uh, I'm already trying to think of ways to put Winston in my game. This is amazing. Um, well, that's what you get when you have an awesome writer uh, as a guest on your show. So um, Thank you. Okay, so the next thing is we get to rolling some dice, the element of chance. So now we need to figure out what's a valuable item, a piece of lore, a secret, or an ideal or concept that's important to Winston. So this is a combo one-two punch. So we're going to roll a four-sided dice first to figure out the particular category uh, that we're working with. So we got a four. So this is an ideal or concept. And now we're going to just roll a regular six-sided dice to figure out which of these 
concepts or ideals are most important to Winston? And we got one. Okay. And uh, this answer was submitted by previous guest, Michael Horsley. Must drink elderberry wine for health. He, or he's very health conscious. So do you think this kind of feeds into his idea of uh, immortality and taking his time? And so as part of his, um, you know, having a, a good, um, healthy physique to do all this mining and, and mental energy to do experimenting that perhaps, you know, elderberry wine is a uh, part of his uh, success? Well, if you're practically immortal, you don't want to be immortal and sick. So, yes, you've got to maintain the body because you can be immortal in bedridden. You could be immortal with one leg. Mm -hmm. You can be immortal with, you know, fingers dropping off from leprosy. He's got to take care of himself. Okay. Interesting. Okay. All right. And then the last thing here that we have to roll for is what is a particular quest that Winston would be willing to recruit or hire player characters to go and do on his behalf? So this is where we can roll and see if it's appropriate for the character, or if by this point you're already inspired, um, you could propose your own side quest, perhaps, of uh, what Winston would assign. Well, I would say that since mining is arduous, painstaking, mm -hmm. time-consuming, if... He were to hear of an asteroid or a planetoid with known unusual properties that no one could get to. He would be going for that because he would he would always roll the dice on the next possible great thing, because when you live forever, you can afford to roll the dice, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're, they're in our world. We, it's come out there are asteroids whose metallic content is worth more than all the metals on our planet earth mm -hmm. so asteroids could be the gold mines of the space and of the future but they're not just gold mines they're potential mines of any metal you could imagine and a lot you wouldn't so when he learns of a metallic asteroid or a planetoid that is not stony rocky but you know has either metal or metal veins or seams mm -hmm. he would always be up for investigating that because you never know what's there. Okay. And so does he want the player characters to kind of explore it first, clear it of any dangerous creatures or hazards or anything like that? I think he would want them backing him up. I think he would always want to be the point man. Okay. He would always want to eyeball whatever is on the surface that can be gleaned. Mm -hmm. So he could say, oh, this is this has got some gold. Uh, let's use, let's do some let's do some scanning and see if we can see inside the core mm -hmm. and say okay this is gold which is valuable but not worth necessarily tearing this asteroid apart we we're looking for something golder than gold mm. more gold than gold okay. you know unobtainium or something unobtainium adamantium there we go all right so with this side quest in mind if the player characters uh help out winston and they successfully protect and help map out this asteroid this planetoid um, what is going to be their reward for helping winston they get a piece of the action okay. winston believes in rewarding people okay you know if you're going to go into a situation with him he mm -hmm. wants your loyalty he wants you to be unambiguously uh committed and he wants you to understand there's more money in being his friend than stabbing him in the back because if you're his if you're his backup person you probably don't have his knowledge 
So you can't exploit an asteroid that's rich in metals and minerals the way he can. Mm. So you get more money by being on his team than being his competitor. He okay. believes in cooperation. Excellent. But, you know, player characters being player characters and introducing an element of chance and chaos into any game, me as a dungeon master knowing this firsthand, uh, we have to consider what's going to be the consequence of failure or what's going to be the consequence of refusing the call to action? Well, I don't know that the, the refusing the call to action, because I think he's got such a network and get other people. But if you go on his one of his trips and you try to stab him in the back, mm-hmm. he's going to dig your grave. But it's not <laughs> going to be a grave. He's going to open up a mine. He's going to invite you to explore it with him. And then he's going to seal it, you know, with you on the inside and him on the outside. So it's you think it's a mine, it's your grave. Wow. Short of that, if he can't, doesn't have the time for that, it's, you know, he likes to shoot people in the brains. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's he doesn't good. he doesn't mess around. He doesn't mess around and he isn't uh he's he's top of the game uh for for a reason, you know. He's not yeah. afraid to get his hands dirty. He would prefer the survivors to think, okay, maybe the bad guy got caught in a cave in, mm. but if he got caught in a cave in, how come Winston survived? So there would be that little seed of fear in the back of their minds where they say, you know, I think I better stand, stay in line with this guy because <laughs> I don't know that I can, I don't want to go into any mines with him if, if, if we're not 100%, you know, bonded. Um, let's see. What are the goals and motivations of Winston? Well, I think not to be bored. When you live a long time, you know, you're going to accumulate a lot of money so you can be comfortable. But how comfortable can you be? And I think he likes to do things. So his motivation is to always discover new things in the area that to him is worth his effort. And that's exploiting asteroids and planetoids. Okay. And with these goals and motivations in mind, how do they affect his general personality? Well, I said before, he was pretty single-minded. I mean, I think he will take vacations and breaks between explorations, but, you know, I think he's only alive when he's digging into the ground of some forbidding looking stony asteroid that might contain trillions of dollars in wealth, but might end up being just rock and mineral and quartz and junk. Uh, Is there any particular way uh, that he interacts with different groups of people, like friends and family versus rivals versus people that work for him? Or is he pretty much the same? He's outlived his family. So friends, it depends on, you know, how he he relates to them. Professionally, he's very professional, uh, very to the point. With his friends, I don't think he has too many. With his friends, he wants to talk about everything other than his work or anything other than his work. What that is, I suppose it would be entertainment things. I don't think he's into sports. I don't think it means anything out in space. Uh, And I'd say he has few friends and he just likes to relax with them. Okay. Uh, Is there any particular accent or language that Winston uses? Are there any idiosyncrasies in the way that he acts or speaks? Well, I think he's mastered a considerable number of languages, some of which he's forgotten through disuse. (laughs) And I think he has a favored language. And the favored language is whatever the lingua franca of the sector of space in which he operates is. Okay. You know, like on Earth, English is the prevalent language, but in Asia, China, Chinese is the prevalent language. So it's whatever is the prevalent language of his, the sector and space in which he operates from. Okay. 
And fun fact, I'm looking here at a wiki page uh, for Gith Yankee, and it says their common languages that they speak are Gith, the common language for all of D&D, Draconic, and Deep Speech, which is the language of, um, oh, like aberrations, so like Beholders and Mind Flayers and Abolus and very Lovecraftian sort of inspired uh, elements. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> Last optional questions. What impact has Winston made on the quote, world, um, how has he shaped his local area? He has cleared a lot of asteroids in the sense that he's reduced them to their component elements and sold them off so they're no longer a danger mm-hmm. to uh, space travel. Okay. In other words, he's thinned whatever asteroid belts are out there. He's still working on it. He's got his entire immortal life to do it in. Mm-hmm. But I think it's his contribution beyond that is on inhabited worlds. People are able to make things out of some of the metals that he's mined and discovered, and that has revolutionized certain technologies. And then final question here. Do you have any current problems that prevent you from being a bigger player on the stage? Well, I think he doesn't want to be a big player so much as he wants to pursue his interests. Okay. I think he's, a li- he's kind of like an archaeologist of metal and other things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like what's inside that rock, you know, what gold might be in there that isn't gold? Uh, what can I, you know, what can I find that I can experiment with and discover this is unknown. This has never been seen. This is exploitable. There's got to be some use for this that no one's ever thought of because no one knows about this metal. So I think he likes the fact that on other worlds, people are benefiting from his efforts. But I think for him, it's the discovery. It's a constant challenge. Awesome. I think we've learned a lot about Mr. Winston, and I think it's fitting now to throw him into a random encounter. All right. So this random encounter is brought to you by our second sponsor, uh, Reaper Miniatures. Been around since... 1994. They make awesome paints and gaming accessories and all the things that you could ever need. Um, You can watch them on YouTube and Twitch. They're doing tutorials and they're doing awesome interviews. Whatever system you're running, whatever game you're playing, Reaper Miniatures has got you covered. Um, Every time you go and shop with them and spend at least $40 uh, in their store, you'll always get a new miniature of the month and it's uh, always something different and awesome. Um, If you visit my website, sidekicksandsidequests.com, I have a little affiliate link. And if you click that to go to Reaper Miniatures website, it helps to track traffic and help build our relationship together. I know by this point, I've already gotten two $50 gift cards. So I'm certainly thankful for all of you going to check out Reaper Miniatures through me. I want to keep that relationship growing. So again, go to my website, click on the link for Reaper Miniatures, and explore and buy away to your heart's content. This is the random encounter section, so we like to do a little role play vignette. You don't have to be a great actor. You don't have to adopt any silly voices or anything like that. Um, but I think since you have painted such an awesome vision of this character, obviously it's fitting that you be Winston. Uh, and I think I have the perfect uh, foil to kind of throw into the scene and, uh, and play against Winston. And if you're ready to begin, uh, then I'm ready to begin. All right. So where we last left our hero, Duncan, he was finishing up a simple task of retrieving a letter for a certain teenage mind flayer. But what he didn't know is that when he went to return the message to her and made contact with her hand, there was some ripple 
uh, through space, through the dimensions, through time. And all of a sudden, Duncan finds himself being sucked through space. And he finds himself now floating in the astral sea. And he's just kind of floating aimlessly. He can see Milky Way galaxy-like formations. He can see all these asteroids and planetoids drifting harmlessly. He can hear angelic choir music uh, playing in the background. And as he's floating and momentarily screaming and trying to get his bearings and figure out what just happened, uh, he looks over and he can see that there's this this little simple uh, ship uh, that's floating nearby. And as he floats and bumps onto it and climbs and scrambles onto the deck uh, and stands himself upright, he seems to bump into a person that's standing on the deck of the ship that was watching this him this entire time as he was coming to his bearings. And so he'll go, uh, hello. Who are you? Uh, forgive me, good sir. My name is Duncan, and I'm an adventurer for hire, and I don't know how or why I've ended up here. Well, I can't help you with that, but I'm on my way to Planetary X, and you're coming with me. Oh, like oh okay. Uh, well, I I can't turn down a good adventure, uh, and and uh, and he'll he'll kind of like do one of these things where he's like trying to adjust his collar as he as he notes sort of the intimidation, menacing tone behind it. But uh, but Duncan will take a moment to calm down and and he'll say, "Planetoid X." Uh, well, what what kind of place is that? The newly discovered planetoid, and I'm going to explore it. I'm a miner. And I'm going to explore it probably for the next couple of years. Wow, wonderful. Well, I'm certainly happy to accompany you and uh, offer my services. Uh, And you can look at Duncan and you can see he's got all sorts of armor and gizmos and gadgets. He has a pair of penny loafers on his feet. uh, But you can look at his uh, wrist and you can see he has like this contraption. It's like a a wrist-mounted hand crossbow, but it has a grappling hook attachment. And he's got, you know, swords in a pack. So Duncan looks like he's up for an adventure. Well, that's good. But, you know, Duncan, I have one question for you. Since you're going to be on my ship, you're going to be a member of my crew. Yes, sir. Can, can you cook? Uh, Duncan will uh, will think really quickly and he'll be like, ah, oh, yes, being on the road, I've had to cook a fair meal or two. All right, you're going to be the night cook. All right. Until we get to Planetoid X, there's nothing but travel and eating. Very well, and um, hopefully some good stories. Well, I, I'll, I'll teach you some things that you need to know if you're going to work on, on the Planetoid, because you'll be a crew member on the Planetoid once we land. Mm-hmm. But if this doesn't sound good to you, I can put you in a lifeboat. <laughs> ah, well, I've, uh, I admit I've been to the Feywild before, but... Uh... Duncan will roll a history check, and he does pretty well. And so he says, based on my surroundings and you appearing to be of uh, the GIF, uh, I would assume I'm somewhere in the Astral Sea. Am I correct? That's correct. And the lifeboat I have for you doesn't have an engine. It just floats. So you better be picked up quick if you choose the lifeboat option. Ah, yes. Well, uh... From what I've heard of this astral sea, there's dread, there's astral dreadnoughts that would uh, sooner eat me uh, than me being able to fend for myself on my own. And yeah, in that case, you're going to be cooking, aren't you? Yes, sir. And so, uh, uh, well, show me the way to the galley, and I will uh, prepare you a fine, fine treat. Okay, follow me, going down to the bowels of this ship. Mm-hmm. It's a mining ship, so it's not that clean. 
but it's very efficient. <laughs> and here we are at the galley. You see everything is semi-automated. Go scrounge some meat, some vegetables, and some things that look starchy to you and come back and tell me when you've got a meal. And Duncan will give you a salute and he'll say, right away, sir. And so then we'll begin the montage of over the several days, weeks, months, who knows, uh, where Duncan will sail alongside Winston and they'll trade stories and Duncan will feel a little bit more well-rounded now on his travels. And he will be seen as a member in good standing of the crew unless he steps out of line. And scene. All right. Well, hey, for someone who's never played Dungeons and Dragons before, I think you did a pretty awesome job. Thank you. Well, we're now here in the final thoughts section of the show, so I always like to ask my guests of your uh, of your thoughts of uh, being on the podcast, of uh, getting to play some D and D, and and everything. Well, it's different because normally when I do a podcast, I get interviewed to death. This is complete departure from that. Mm-hmm. So it was fun. It was fun. Looking back, I might have preferred to create my own character, but I thought if you rolled the dice, it would at least get the ball rolling. Okay. And it did. I was going to say, now that you've uh, now that we've created this origin story for Winston, uh, do you already feel the beginnings of a of a typewriter typing of a quill hitting parchment as you start sketching out the adventures and travels of Winston, the Gith Yankee miner? Well, I think he's an interesting character, but unfortunately, I have deadline after deadline after <laughs> deadline staring me in the face. So if I had the luxury of playing with the character, certainly he's an interesting character in the sense that I've, you know, I come up with a look, a personality, mm-hmm. uh, a focus, you know, a franchise for him, uh, to use that old term. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I don't think I, I have the luxury of writing a Winston story anytime soon. Okay. Uh, but if if an anthology should approach me and say, do you have anything in this area? Well, I've already got something, haven't I? Yes, sir. Well, I think that also stands to be maybe a motivating factor in perhaps getting you back on the podcast in the future. And perhaps we can uh, go with an idea that you already have and then share with the audience of this new character that you might have. That's an idea. Sure. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, I always like to give the platform, the soapbox, the microphone over to my guest here in the very last moments of the show and ask if you've got anything to plug. Uh, What do we need to know about that you're working on now? Where can we find you on social medias if you do that? And uh, yeah, and any causes or anything that you care about? Well, I'm on Twitter as WillMurray334. I'm on Facebook as William Patrick Murray. My website for my books, the Wild Adventure series and others is www.adventuresinbronze.com. This is one of my novels, Skull Island, where Doc Savage meets King Kong, authorized by both you know, parties who own those characters. That's been my most popular novel, but I've done a lot of crossovers. Um, the Shadow met Doc Savage twice. Uh, Tarzan has met King Kong in, in King Kong versus Tarzan. That's another favorite of mine that sold well. John Carter of Mars has met Tarzan the Apes in Tarzan Conqueror of Mars, which we're now sequeling. And I've done a number of other crossovers featuring the spider and the characters from his particular world of the 1930s. Um, but my books are all on Amazon. Some of them are under the Will Murray name, but the Doc Savages are under the Kenneth Robeson name. 
And uh, I've also written a collection of Sherlock Holmes short stories, The Wild Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And I'm working right now on The Wild Adventures of Cthulhu, a collection of my Cthulhu stories. So I'm a busy guy. It sounds like it. All right. Well, Mr. Murray, thank you so much for your time. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you, Kurt. It was nice being on the show. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sidekicks and Side Quests. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Overcast. Or feel free to save the RSS feed to use the app of your choice. Visit our website, sidekicksandsidequests.com, for links, write-ups of the NPCs, and to learn more about the show and the guests who have been on it. To stay up to date and interact via social media, you can follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit by searching for Side KQ Podcast. I would love to talk D&D and showcase your fan art stories of how you used our NPCs, discussions, and commentary. If you would like to hail the bod, send an email to sidekicksandsidequests at gmail.com. To help this show be the resource it's meant to be, I ask that you please leave a review on iTunes to help spread the word and share our show with your friends and family. Whether you're a veteran player or an aspiring dungeon master, there's something here for everyone, and I want to hear about it. Sidekicks and Sidequests is unofficial fan content permitted under the fan content policy, meaning I'm not approved or endorsed by Wizards. Portions of the materials used are property of Wizards of the Coast, copyright Wizards of the Coast, LLC. Thank you for your support, and I'll see you at the pub next time. Bar to rock on one, two, one, two, three, four! Side